We're six days into the war. In fact, uh, tomorrow morning will mark seven days since the Hamasniks attacked Israel and effectively this war started. And over this week, we've had investors in markets starting to panic more and more and more about the implications of what's going to happen in, in the war. We've had the gold price go up. We've had the oil price go up. We've had the bond prices go down. And it feels like what we need to do is we need to start protecting our portfolios for something of a prolonged war in the Middle East. And that's what we're going to be speaking about today. Today on Banter, I've got a good friend of the channel, Peter Schiff, with us, and he's going to tell us what he thinks is going to happen to the American economy, especially now in the light of the of the war and how he is positioning his trade. So today is a big day. Let's get into it, guys. And we're back. The human casualties keep mounting up. The market's feeling very, 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 very nervous. And I thought today what we would do is we'd just use today to understand how the biggest investors in the world are looking at this uh, at this war. Uh, we had Paul Tudor Jones coming out earlier this week. I'll remind you. And um, he said that he's more nervous than he's ever been in his life about where the US economy is. And he said he's increasing his allocation to gold and to Bitcoin. I wonder if our next guest, Peter Schiff, will be increasing his allocation to Bitcoin. Anyway, be that as it may, listen, if you're not a subscriber to this channel yet, now's the best time to subscribe. Smash the subscribe button. Like this content. If we get to 1,200 likes at the end of this video, I've got a big surprise for you guys. So let's see if we can beat yesterday's. Yesterday, I've got 1,350 likes. Let's see if we can, if we can beat that. Um, also, remember, it's a Friday. Friday Banter is brought to you by our best sponsor, NordVPN. I keep saying to you guys, if you are in crypto for $3.08 a month, you need to protect yourself. You need to be hiding your IP address. Look at this. If I'm surfing on the internet, every single service provider that I'm surfing can see my IP address. That means they know exactly where I am. They Western Cape, South Africa, they know exactly where I am. They know who my service provider is. They know exactly how easy it is to hack me. Also, if you do get Nord and you protect your crypto for $3 a month, you then add another $3.79 and you can protect yourself from all the threats. And there are many, 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 many threats. I mean, just look at this. There were fraudsters, Uniswap, the biggest DEX in the world. Um, I mean, how many times have you surfed and you got the fake Uniswaps? Now, if you approve that, then effectively hackers are going to drain all your money from your wallet. For $3 a month, you can protect yourself from that and you can support the channel. So go ahead, do it now. And listen, without any further ado, I want to get Peter Schiff onto the banter live with us today. Peter, welcome back to Crypto Banter. How are you, my friend? I'm okay. I'm okay. How are you guys? I think we're good under under the circumstances. Peter, I want to start off uh, today's discussion with uh, an interview that happened this week with Paul Tudor Jones, who you know is a very successful, renowned investor. I want to play you specifically something that he said. I, I want to get your comments about what he said on a day like today. Well, I think Israel, obviously it's a, it's a huge tragedy, but you have to put it in a larger geopolitical context, which is we now have possibly three theaters where we're going to have geopolitical challenges. We've got the Middle East and Israel, obviously the Ukraine and Russia, and then at some point down the road, Taiwan and China. So it's a really, I would say since, certainly since I was born, it might be the most threatening and challenging geopolitical environment that I've ever seen because you have four nuclear powers, uh, three of whom are led by sociopaths, and that would be China, Russia, and North Korea. 
obviously those leaders have zero accountability responsibility to anyone but themselves and they have um, not an ounce of humanity in their bones because they regularly disappear both their friends and their enemies and then the fourth Iran is led by someone who thinks God is talking to him and has uh, avowedly said that they want to remove from this earth a nation state with probably the most brilliant people ever assembled within a national boundary. So it's a really challenging environment. Uh, if you think about it too much, I want my lucky color to be invisible, right? It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very threatening time. So that is also happening at the same time the United States is probably in its weakest fiscal position since certainly World War II with debt to GDP at 122%. So it's a really tough time for I think the moral voice of the world, certainly been the leader since World War II. It, it's, a, it's a really difficult time. So he's very worried about this war and he's talking about it specifically. He's kind of saying that the U.S. is in the worst financial situation that it's ever been, the worst fiscal situation that it's ever been. And it's probably got war open on uh, or potential wars open on a couple of fronts. What do you think of what he said? Do you think we are the worst financial situation that we've ever been in? Well, first of all, that's not what he said. He said that this is the worst shape we've been in since World War II, meaning he believes that we were in worse shape during World War II than we are now, and he's wrong. We're in way worse shape now than we were uh, at the end of World War II, because even though uh, we had run up a bunch of debt to fight that war, we had the capacity to pay it back. Uh, you know, w we had a, a very productive workforce. Uh, we were the world's wealthiest creditor nation. Uh, you know, we had trade surpluses. Uh, we had a lot of national wealth that could be tapped into and was tapped into. Uh, because during the war, taxes were raised significantly. Remember, before World War II started, nobody paid income taxes, really, except the very rich. Uh, there wasn't a withholding tax where people's uh, money came directly uh, out of their, 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 their paychecks. And there were a lot of other taxes that were added in 1943 as part of the victory tax to fund the war. Now, when the war ended, none of those taxes went away. And so the government had all this tax revenue after the hostilities stopped and we demobilized 20 million soldiers. The government had all this revenue coming in from wartime taxes that were never repealed. And so we were able to pay back all of the debt that we incurred to finance the Second World War. That is not the situation that we're in today. We have no capacity to pay this debt. We have no extra tax revenue now. Uh, we didn't raise taxes really on anybody to fight the COVID war or the war on terror or any of these wars. We ran deficits. And now we have this huge interest expense that's rising rapidly, closing it on a trillion dollars a year, and then it's going to keep going on the debt we already have. And you know, people don't have the capacity really to pay higher taxes the way they did uh, you know, in the Second World War because taxes were very low before the war started. <laughs> and even after the war, uh, you know, they were still on average lower than they are now. The problem is massive spending. 
we didn't have this bloated Social Security program. Social Security was very uh, new in 1945. It didn't even start until the 30s. There were very few people collecting it in 1945. You had lots of people paying the tax, but very few people getting the benefits. You didn't have Medicaid. You know, Medica uh, Medicare started, but again, it was a tiny expense uh, compared to what we have now. And of course, we have Obamacare in addition to Medicare and Medicaid. Medicaid didn't even come in until the 1960s. Um, so the government is in a far, far weaker position. It's not even close. Is so uh, Tudor Jones, he, he is so sugarcoating the degree of the problem. And, you know, the fact that he's one of the only guys out there, that was an interview on CNBC. He's one of the only people that comes on there that even says we have a problem. But even he isn't doing it the justice that it deserves because the problem is so much worse. Uh, than what he acknowledges. So when you say the problem, is the problem just the fact that the U.S. has too much debt and can't afford to repay its debt? Is that the problem? Or, or is it like a bigger problem? You know, it's a bigger problem because the whole economy is screwed up because it's built around the continuation of something that can't continue, which is uh, deficits uh, uh, as far as the eye can see, perpetual trade deficits and budget deficits. Our economy has evolved into this service-based you know, economy that is completely dependent on the world, the charity of the world, to keep it going. The world has to supply us with the goods that our service sector economy no longer has the capacity to produce. And since our economy is based on excess consumption, which is fueled by debt, uh, the world has to continue to finance that. They have to continue this system of the dollar as the reserve currency where Americans can endlessly borrow money and never have to pay it back. But all of this is going to come to an end. And so, it's going to reveal the, 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 the inherent uh, flaw in our in our entire economy that we're going to watch come tumbling down. So, I mean, is, uh, is that your explanation for why, if we look at the Dixie, you know, if I look at America and America was a company. I would say America is insolvent. I mean, $33 trillion worth of debt, $1 trillion worth of debt repayments a year. You know, I keep saying that if the US was a company that was listed on the American stock exchange, the directors of the US would probably need to go to jail now for being, for being negligent in, in, in their trading. But at the same time, when I look at the proxy share price of the United States, which is the Dixie, Dixie looks amazing. I mean, it looks like it's, 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 uh, it's, it's getting stronger and stronger and stronger, which means that more people want to buy the shares or the currency of this of this country that that you say is in such bad conditions. What, what am I missing? Well, there is a disconnect there, you know, and eventually it's going to be corrected uh, in favor of reality, not not fantasy. And it's not just the thirty four trillion of debt that we have. That's just a small part of the overall liabilities of the country. That is the, the bonds that we have sold uh, to, to the public or to the, the central banks. But that's like the tip of a dead iceberg. The United States owes a lot of money in addition to that $34 trillion, because it's closer to 34 trillion now than 33, so might as well round it up. Um, but there are all sorts of contingent liabilities that any you know company is gonna have to account for. Any company on, uh, a stock exchange lists on its balance sheet 
the content, you know, the contingency liabilities. And so if you look at those liabilities, you're talking about another 100, 200 trillion dollars. I mean, some huge number that actually dwarfs uh, the bonds. But these are still obligations that the United States government has, you know, accepted, which would include the obligation to pay Social Security benefits to people who retire, Medicare benefits to people who retire, the obligation to uh, reimburse banks for any losses on student loans, uh, the obligations to reimburse banks, depositors for any money uh, that is lost in the banking system, the obligation to reimburse pensioners uh, based on all the guaranteed pensions to the extent that they fail, the government has to step in, all the obligations it has to retired government workers to make pension payments where those pensions are not funded uh, and are simply obligations that have been you know, taken on by the U.S. government. So you add all this stuff together and there are hundreds of trillions of dollars that people are expecting to be paid. <laughs> and none of it I didn't can actually, be paid unless I, I, must say, I didn't, inflation. I didn't understand what you meant when you said contingent liabilities. But now that you put it that way, I mean, it's it's pretty... It's pretty scary that the U.S. is committed to all these things that it, that it needs it needs to honor now. Every time there's a natural disaster anywhere, everybody expects the U.S. government to step up and, and provide the funding, the relief money. So it's almost like, I mean, where's that money coming from? I mean, that, that's not on the books as an obligation, but everybody expects that. You know, it's now, you know, a matter of course. Oh, uh, let's declare a, a, a national emergency so you can qualify for your federal money. Uh, so, so, so Peter, just, it, I want to talk about the TLT graph. This is a graph that that it represents a long dated twenty year plus uh, Treasury bonds. This this chart had a, a a rough time. Is this reflecting what what you're basically saying? Are you saying that people have lost complete faith in the U.S. government's ability to repay its debts? They don't want twenty year plus Treasury bonds. It's basically saying that they're taking a bet that twenty years from now the U.S. will be in a very very poor financial condition. Well, not yet. I mean, but they will eventually. I mean, some people have probably figured this out, and that's why they're not buying bonds. But the yield on 20-year, I think that TLT is a combination of 10-year and, and 30-year. That's how they kind of get the maturity of 20. Okay. Uh, but I think that a lot of the people that were buying 10-year or 30-year treasuries don't want them anymore for that precise reason. But you still have a lot of people or institutions, pensions, insurance companies, hedge funds, central banks that are buying. Um, but there are fewer people who want to buy. So the demand for treasuries is falling as the supply of treasuries is rising sharply because, because our deficits are two trillion plus per year. So the supply of treasuries is growing. The demand for treasuries is likely shrinking. And so the price of treasuries is falling, and that is why rates are rising. But I think as more people correctly conclude that the U.S. can't possibly meet these obligations and that inflation is going to be uh, horrific, because uh, that's the only way the government can pay is with inflated money. And so let's say bond investors determine that the actual rate of inflation over the next 30 years will be closer to 10% per year than 2% per year. How much interest are they going to require to make that loan? Well, it's going to be something 
considerably higher than 10%. Otherwise, they won't buy. Correct. But the problem is the U.S. government can't afford to pay anywhere close to 10%. If you think about it, we have a, you know, a, a, 40, a $34 trillion national debt. 10% of that is $3.4 trillion. So we obviously can't pay 10% of that number, let alone the number that it's going to grow to over the years, because we're adding trillions of dollars to that pile right, every year. Uh, and, and very quickly, 100% of the government's tax revenue is going to go to interest on the debt. I mean, even at the current, even at the current rate of interest, where, you know, about 5%, in a few years, I don't know how many it is, three, four more years, based on the way the national debt is rising, all of the government's tax revenue will have to go to pay interest on the debt. So I'm just doing and a Google search. I'm doing a Google search and I just said, uh, how much tax revenue does the U.S. government collect? And it said the U.S. government collects income is uh, 3.97 trillion for the fiscal year 2023. Yeah. And of that, one trillion is going to repay debt. Am I right in saying that 25 percent of what the government? Well, it's not going to. Yeah, it's not going to repay debt. It's going to pay interest on the debt. On the None debt, of the yeah. debt's getting repaid. <laughs> it's just the interest. It, it, repaying the debt is impossible, but servicing the debt is also going to be impossible because there's too much debt to service and the interest rates are going to be too high. So if the government only collects $4 trillion in taxes, what happens when $4 trillion is our interest on the debt? Because we're going what to be happens there. when the what happens yeah. when the economy slows down slightly and they're not collecting four trillion, they're collecting three point five trillion or three trillion because the economy slows right. down and people are, are, pay, are paying less tax. Right, and then at the same time, when the economy slows down and people are paying less tax, the budget deficits go up, and so instead of a two trillion dollar budget deficit, we have a three or a four trillion dollar budget deficit, which is adding more supply to the market, putting more upward pressure. <sighs> on interest rates or more pressure on the Fed to monetize those larger deficits by creating additional inflation, which undermines uh, the attractiveness of those bonds and causes fewer people to buy. Look, you know, we are at an inflection point where we have to choose as a nation, is the U.S. government going to default on these obligations or is it going to inflate them away? Because that's it, right? We, we, we can't repay them honestly and we can no longer pretend that we can. We have to drop the pretense. The world is going to know, yes, the U.S. is insolvent. And so what is the path that it's going to take? Is it hyperinflation or is it default? Okay, but so, either way, so it's a massive crisis. That's my next question. So if I were going to put, if I waved the magic wand and after I wave the magic wand, Peter Schiff becomes the president of the United States and he is now tasked with fixing up this big mess that the United States has, how do you fix this? Well, you know, it, it is fixable, but it's not fixable with a magic wand, right? So, you know, there are going to be some short-term problems. But what we have to do is dramatically shrink the size of government. We've got to abolish uh, all sorts of departments and agencies to make government a lot smaller, to remove the burden that it places on the economy. Um, you know, we need to cut substantially and gradually completely eliminate the entitlements uh, that never should have uh, been, been started. Uh, when you and say we need to get the government back down. When you say entitlements. Social Security, Medicare, you know, you know, the government has to get out of 
things that it doesn't belong in, like education, energy. I mean, a lot of these things that, that the government started doing, uh, you know, in the 20th century, they, they shouldn't be doing. Um, and, and, and we should relieve the, uh, the taxpayer and the economy of the burden of having to pay for, you know, this army of federal workers uh, that is undermining our productivity. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of rules and regulations that need to be repealed. But now, even though we've done that, that's about uh, a better way forward so we can rid the economy of the income tax and of the payroll tax. We would be all be a lot more productive if there were no federal income taxes to pay or federal payroll taxes. That's how the country was designed. That's the economic model that our founders envisioned. That's why America became so wealthy is because we succeeded for the first 100, 150 years of our history of keeping the federal government very small. The, the federal government is only supposed to be there to protect us from invasion. It's, it's, it's supposed to be focused on external affairs. It's not supposed to get involved in the domestic economy at all. That's not why we have a federal government. We have state governments and we have a free market economy. You know, we don't, the federal government is not supposed to be involved in that. Uh, we need to get the government out of out of money. I don't, I don't think we should have a Federal Reserve. There are a lot of things that we need to go back to. I mean, we didn't have a Federal Reserve uh, until 1913. Yet, you know, we made it to 1913 without one. We don't need one. The Federal Reserve has done far more harm than good. And we, we'd be better off without it. But we don't want to turn over those monetary powers to the U.S. government. They, they would do an even worse job than the Fed. I mean, if Congress was in charge of monetary policy, it'd be even worse than the Fed. Congress so can't get anything privatized. I, I, don't, I don't trust Congress but, to get anything right anymore. No, well, they're not. They're, well, because they're not motivated to do anything right. Congress is motivated to perpetuate uh, its reelection. That's why those guys are there. Every member of Congress has one job to get reelected. That's his job. That's his mission. And so every decision he makes is motivated by his own reelection. Does this decision make it more or less likely that I'm going to get reelected? It's got nothing to do with what's good for the economy. And normally, doing what's good for the economy is bad for your prospects of re-election, which is why nobody does what's good for the economy, because that's not uh, what what is motivating them. Um, but even after we, we set the stage to have a you know vibrant economy in the future, we have to deal with the legacy of uh, you know what we have years of mismanagement and overspending and underinvestment and under savings. So we're going to have to restructure the debt. We're going to have to default. The government is going to have to tell bondholders, you're not going to get the $34 trillion. We don't have it. You're not going to get it. So we're going to come to some kind of fair restructuring where maybe you'll get 25 cents on the dollar. You're going to get, you know, get something. I mean, you're talking you, you about get you're talking about the world's superpower, the world's reserve currency, the world's most powerful financial nation. You're talking about the possibility of the U.S. defaulting. Yeah, and we'll be a much stronger nation after we're finished with the default than we are now. We'll be in much better shape fiscally. right? If, a, if there's a company that's bankrupt and they restructure and they get rid of a lot of debt, at the under end of the process, they're, they're in much better shape. So we're going to be in better shape. After we do this, okay. Um, so, but so, it's not just—it's it, not just—it's not just our creditors that we need to default on. We need to tell people on Social Security, on Medicare. A lot of people are not going to get that money. <clears throat> you know, we'll have to means test it, <clears throat> and then we have to phase it out over time. So that's uh, these so things that's need what to be you, done. <clears throat> that's what you would do. Question is, what do you think is actually going to happen? Because it sounds like what you would do is never going to happen. I mean, you and I 
both know that they're no, not going to no. stop. It's not going to happen. What is going to happen is nobody, everybody is going to get paid what they're owed, except it's not going to buy very much. So the bondholders are going to get their money. But when they go to buy stuff with it, they're not going to be able to get much. Right. So my way is honest and our creditors end up with more purchasing power. My way. The way the government's going to do it, the dishonest way, creditors will lose even more. They're going to get their money back, but their money is not going to have any value when they get it or very little value. So they're going so to de- that's worse. They're going to devalue. They're going to devalue the currency by 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 printing more money, putting more and more and more money into circulation, basically doing what they did in COVID. But well, you're talking about a an ultra uber acceleration of that, right? Right. So they're not going to cut your Social Security benefits. They're going to give you all the money. It's just that you're going to use it all up. Uh, you know. You know. Uh, you know. Just you know, with one bag of groceries. Right, because you, it's not going to go very far. Your Social Security checks. So, it's, but if it's, you're right, it's not going to. If you're right, then then assets should reprice. You're talking about stock market going through the roof. You're talking about gold going through the roof. You're probably talking about Bitcoin going well, not, through the roof. Not 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 in real terms. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what happened to the Zimbabwe stock market? Right, the prices went way up. But it's not like anybody got rich owning Zimbabwe stocks. No, because the, the, the real value went down. The nominal value went up, but the nominal value doesn't mean anything. So, yes, if we go through massive inflation, of course, the Dow Jones could go to 100000 But what does that mean if gold is also $100,000 an ounce, right? You got to keep it in perspective, right? So you have to look at other prices and then compare it to 100000 Dow to determine whether the stock market actually went up or 100%. if the dollar just went way down. So I want to play you this, which is the next part of, uh, of the uh, Paul Tudor Jones interview. So behind you and I saw the price of Bitcoin. And I know every time we've spoken, uh, you, you've had a take on Bitcoin. Do you have a, a new take? I, 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 still I, holding? Think, I think I think now the barbarous relics and I would lump gold and Bitcoin together. I think they probably take on. Uh, a larger percentage of your portfolio than historically they would because we're going to go through both a challenging political time here in the United States and we're going to go through, we've obviously got a geopolitical right. situation. So I would, I would. So he's saying right now, upweight your, your rate, your, your uh, allocation of gold and Bitcoin. I mean, I, I guess you probably agree with him on the gold. You probably don't agree with him on the Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I mean, I think it's interesting that he's now dis- describing Bitcoin as a, as a relic, a barbarous relic. I mean, it, it's, it, it hasn't been around that long to qualify as being some kind of relic of the past. You know? uh, but yeah, I mean, gold's been around for thousands of years. And a lot of people have referred to it as a barbarous relic. I, I just hadn't heard people. I, I kind of like the fact Bitcoin now. I kind of like the fact that he's starting to lump Bitcoin and gold together in in in, in that kind of of uh, of of uh, context. Well, a, a relic, a relic is basically, hey, this is something from the past that maybe you know, hey, it's no longer relevant anymore, right? It's just uh, left over from some ancient <laughs> times, and um, and that's how he's describing Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin was supposed to be this new form of gold. Right. Gold for the 21st century, gold 2.0. Right. You know, so it it was supposed to be differentiated from gold, not lumped in and, and, you know, and and painted with that same brush as gold. Um, Look, I I mean, I I I think that's it. We're not going to agree. I think that's interesting that. 
I've, I've stopped trying to convince yeah. you. I've stopped trying to convince you around buying Bitcoin. I'm, 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 I'm pretty sure you're not going to change your, your view on Bitcoin. But I, I guess you agree with him that that upweighting your portfolio of in gold right now is is probably a good place to be, right? Yeah. Well, gold in I think gold is 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 very cheap, and 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 the reason I think gold is so underpriced by the market is because the conventional wisdom is is so flawed when it comes to the outlook for inflation. Uh, most people believe that 2% inflation uh, is around the corner, that you know maybe another quarter point hike, maybe a half a point, uh, you know, another year, and you know we're just going to be back at 2%, and then the Fed is just going to be able to cut rates, and everything is going to go back to the way it was uh, in the last decade or two. And it, this is wrong. This is just not going to happen. You know, I, I heard this, you know, this fool on CNBC this morning, you know, saying that, look, you know, the Fed doesn't have anything to do with inflation. He said, look, you know, for years and years, the Fed was trying to get inflation to go up to 2% and all of its policies had no effect. You know, they were doing QE, they were doing 0% interest rates, and it had no effect on inflation. I mean, of course it did. That's why inflation is so high right now. It's because of what the Fed did to raise the inflation rate to 2% that it ultimately went so much higher than 2%. And it's why it's never going back down to 2% in the foreseeable future. It did have an effect. We're dealing with the effect now. It's just that there was a lag, right? It took a lot longer. Uh, and, and part of it was hidden by a, a CPI that understates by design the degree to which prices were going up. So all the years that the Fed claimed that prices were going up less than 2%, they actually were going up more. It's just so- that the, the government numbers didn't, didn't reflect that. But um, getting get back to... Um, so the, the markets don't get this. So they don't realize that they need an inflation hedge because they don't think there's any inflation to hedge. They trust the Fed. They think the Fed is going to take care of the problem. The Fed is not going to take care of the problem. The Fed created the problem and it's going to make the problem worse. And so they should be buying gold. And eventually they will be buying gold. Now, whether some people buy Bitcoin instead of gold or in addition to gold, who knows? Right? Some people might decide to do that and that might push the price of Bitcoin up. I, I don't know. But even if it goes up, it won't stay up. Eventually, it's going to collapse. Uh, you know, so whether it has another rally before that collapse is anybody's guess. But why do you think but that Bitcoin it, it, will it's collapse? It's not a substitute for gold. Why do you think Bitcoin will collapse and gold won't collapse? Because gold has real value and Bitcoin does not. So Bitcoin's Bitcoin's uh, price is total is a total reflection of speculative demand and, and psychology. And gold's value is gold's. No, gold's value is a reflection of gold as a metal, of to, what to do, you can do with gold as a metal. One jewel, of the things you jewelry, can do with gold jewelry, is store value. But, jewelry is a big part of it. I mean, gold, there's, a, there's a huge jewelry industry out there that needs gold. I mean, they've been they've been making gold jewelry for thousands of years. I mean, do you think that's going to stop? What percentage of the gold price do you think is linked to jewelry versus people hedging a store of value. A lot of it. Hon- honestly. Like a lot of it is linked. 10%? A lot of it. 10%? But remember, the, 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 uh, more than that, because remember, all the gold that is used to make jewelry, right, um, can be used again. Like here, I'm, this is, I'm wearing this, this ring, right? This is pure gold. It's 24 karat gold, the, the ring on this hand. Yeah. Um, and this gold can be melted down. And, and, and ladies, in case computer. you're wondering, ladies, in case you're wondering, that's just Peter Schiff's way of showing us that he is married. And uh, uh, if you. <laughs> but, but 
That one, because this one I wear on my other hand right now is not 24 karat gold. This one belonged to my father, and it's like 18 karat gold. But there, I mean, obviously, you can you can melt this down too, and you can get the gold out of it and separate it from the other metals. But that, I mean, that it's alloyed with to make we, to make this ring. But the the point is that when you buy a gold ring, you haven't used up that gold. That gold is there to be used in the future, whether it's for jewelry or whether it's for electronics or whatever other. Uh, uses develop in the future, gold is the most valuable metal on the periodic table. It's more useful than any other metal that we have. Now, one of the reasons that we don't use gold more often is because it's too expensive. And so instead of using gold, you substitute another metal that isn't quite as good as gold because you can't afford the gold, because there's only a limited supply of gold and there's lots of demand. There's lots of people that want gold. There's just not enough gold to go around. And so the price goes up. But one of the things that gold does well is serve as money, right? That's an, another function of gold because of its properties, because of how desirable gold is and all of the ways that people need gold in, in the real world. I mean, it, it's great, it's its great money. Properties, it's It's great money. I'm finishing. Look, the visibility, portability, all that stuff. Gold is better money than any other commodity we've tried. But Bitcoin is not money. It's not a commodity. It has no use. It, it, it is purely a function of psychology and perception and demand. If people think the price of Bitcoin is going to go up, they, they, they're willing to hold it. They're willing to buy it. But they don't use it as a medium of exchange. They don't use it as a unit of account. They use I mean, it argue, as a I'd argue that, speculative that, vehicle. I'd argue that that Bitcoin is probably more used as a medium of exchange now than gold is. I mean, gold is probably more used as a store of value, but I think Bitcoin is much more used now as a medium of exchange. People can make yeah, electronic well, payments from one person to another very quickly. I mean, I don't have the stats. Few, I don't have very, stats, but... Very few... Look, yes, most people are not using gold now as a medium of exchange. Hardly anybody is, or a store, you know, or a unit of account, because they're using uh, uh, dollars, you know, currencies instead. Dollars. Yeah, currencies. They're not doing that with Bitcoin. I mean, a tiny fraction of Bitcoin's use would be somebody making a payment. I mean, let's say every once in a while, some guy goes into a barber, and the barber is a Bitcoin fanatic, and the customer, and the customer is like, "Hey, can I pay for this haircut by transferring you some Bitcoin?" And the barber's like, yeah, I'll take Bitcoin. Yeah, that does happen occasionally. There, there are going to be those transactions. But the vast majority of Bitcoin is traded just for speculation. It's not, it's not. I mean, you could probably say the Most same. People, you could say the same thing right, about Bitcoin. Gold, right? you're, no, but, but yeah, because gold is not being used as a medium of exchange. Gold was not. Bitcoin is supposed to be. A cryptocurrency. It's supposed to be an alternative to the dollar, to the euro, to the yen. So on a daily basis, how many of your bills do you pay in Bitcoin? I mean, I pay quite a bit, but I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm an early what, adopter, what, so to what, speak. No, but what, 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 I mean, on a monthly basis, do you pay your rent in Bitcoin? I pay my staff in Bitcoin. I actually do pay my rent in Bitcoin, but no, that's because no. I've got a very understanding landlord. Um, no, no, I mean, but you have a, no, but does, do you pay your rent? Do you give your landlord Bitcoin for your rent? Yes. You My, do. Uh, yeah, but, but that's because I have a a, a landlord that's no. very crypto. No, savvy. no, but you don't. You don't. You actually. So, how much is your rent? Is it how many Bitcoins a month is your rent? It, it's denominated in US dollars. If 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 that's the point you're making. So, 
right, so it's denominated in dollars. Now, when you set, when you pay, does he actually get the Bitcoin or does the get Bitcoin get converted to the dollar amount of your rent? I mean, I'm assuming that the Bitcoin get converted, but I mean, look again. All right, so you're not paying your rent. You could say the same thing about gold. You could say you could say the same thing. No, you could you 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 could you can open up a, a brokerage account right now, and you can buy GLD in that brokerage account, the gold ETF, and you can and you can and you can pay your rent using GLD the same way. You could just margin your account, or they sell some off, and you know you could use a debit card. Uh, you know, it, so you're not paying. You maybe you've decided that you only own Bitcoin, and so whenever uh, uh, you have Peter, to pay I, something, I'm sorry, you have to I don't. Sell I, some Bitcoin. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't see the difference. If I have a GLD account. And then I convert that into, I can't pay my rent in GLD. I can't pay my rent in real gold. I can't pay my rent in, in I, I'm, I'm ultimately, my rent's not denominated in gold. So I think, I, I mean, look, right, again. But at one point, yes, but at one point, everybody's rent was denominated in gold. Gold was what Yeah, but that was, about, that was 100 years rent. ago. That was 100 years ago. More no, than 100, 100 years ago. No, it was not really. Well, 1971. Uh, but but in, in practical terms it was yes it was before roosevelt in in the 1930s when everything yes, was in that was 100 years ago and then we got but but it worked bitcoin has never been money and it never will be money nobody but it's just started. nobody you, is going we started to, off the show peter we started off the show and you told me that it wasn't sorry. a relic you said bitcoin's not a relic it's the new thing you said it yourself you said it yourself peter you said it yourself yes i thought it was Yes, it's it's new. It's not. It hasn't been around for thousands of years, right? Like like gold has. But you can keep on dreaming that one day you're going to wake up in a world where gold is money. I mean, where Bitcoin is money. But that ain't going to happen. Bitcoin's been around since what 2009. It's had plenty of time uh, to uh, develop that use case, and it hasn't done it. Right. It, all happens is people buy it and they hope the price goes up. That is it. And I would say that fewer businesses actually outright court Bitcoin payments than they did, you know, five years ago. I think. Uh, I mean, I, I can tell I think, you. The, I, think, I, think, I can tell you the statistics say otherwise. I can tell you the statistics say otherwise. I don't. I don't hear it. I used to hear there used to be all kinds of news stories. Somebody's going to take Bitcoin. Someone's going to take Bitcoin. I think Everybody, that. Now, I, no, think I, never that, I think the difference is that they have taken it, and now it's like it's like people don't advertise that they're taking U.S. dollars because it's just it's. I mean, you can. I, I live in South Africa. South Africa is right, so, way so, behind the United right, States. So what, I can walk into the biggest grocer here and I can pay my. I can buy my groceries with swiping my, my uh, 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 payment with. with Bitcoin. It's, I mean, it's, you know, I think, I mean, you, I, I think that, I, look, maybe, maybe this is not the right forum to have that, uh, the gold versus Bitcoin argument. Because again, I, I think we're not going to agree here. Uh, to me, it's obvious that Bitcoin is much more divisible than gold. It's unconfiscatable, which is a big, big, big thing now. Um, I, I, I don't know if you remember, but the last time you were on the show, I told you the story that actually my family comes from a gold background. My parents, my Grandparents were very big goldsmiths in Iraq. And in 1951 or 1952, they had to leave Iraq and they melted all their gold and they took their gold in like a melted bucket and they wouldn't let them leave with the gold. And now, I mean, if that was Bitcoin, they wouldn't have that problem. And, Look, and so it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how divisible Bitcoin is because when you're dividing Bitcoin, you're dividing transportable? nothing. You know, when, when you're, yeah, when you're transporting Bitcoin, you are transporting nothing. So if you have nothing, it's easy to make it divisible and transportable, right? So the key is, as far as an actual good, an actual thing, right? 
gold is very transportable and very It's not very transportable, very Peter. It's not. I mean, if I want to take that much, much gold, how much would it how weigh? How much gold? How much gold? How much gold do you do you have? I mean, a million dollars worth of gold could easily fit in a briefcase. It's not. I mean, you know, it's not like it's it's that heavy. You know, yes, if you want to lug around copper, sure, okay, you, 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 that would be very heavy. But you you can carry around millions of dollars of gold uh, in, in 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 a relatively you know small uh, container if that's what you wanted to do. I mean. Yes, if you're a billionaire, can you lug your billions around? No, that would be pretty heavy. But I mean, you can't lug you know billions of dollars worth of anything real. Now, can you? If can you have a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin? Sure, right. You can you can carry that in your head, right? You don't need anything to carry that. Twelve words. That's all you need. Twelve words. Yeah, yeah. But the the problem is, you may have nothing, because it, it's it's only worth that if somebody will pay you for it. You know, you, you have to have a buyer who wants it. Look, Peter, and all I can do, you know, all I can do, all I can do is tell you. Nobody can do anything with it. All I can do is, is just show you the performance. If I have the performance here, um, I, you know, we, we can argue and we can argue yeah, forever. Is, you know, we can argue forever. But I yeah, mean, you, here's the performance in 2023. You, and, and, I, and, I, and we can look at any time frame that you want. All right. Bitcoin, Bitcoin was at 20,000 at a peak in 2017. Yes. Right? So it's been seven years mm -hmm. and, you know, it's only marginally higher than that. Right. It's at twenty seven thousand. Where was gold? Where um, was gold in twenty seventeen? It was lower. I mean, you know, it's it, it, but but yeah, but, but gold let, wasn't a brand new thing. Hold on. Hold on. If let's you just, go back. Let's just go, go back. You brought it up. You brought no, it no, up. No. So I'm going to I'm going to humor you. I'm going to humor you here. You brought it up. I didn't bring it up. So quickly, let's just go there and let's just have a. Uh, a look. So I'm going to go to the weekly charts of both Bitcoin and gold. I'm going to go to 2017 because you said it. So Bitcoin was at 20,000. Bitcoin is 20% higher, 25% higher than it, it was. Uh, gold 2017 was... It was the high in 2017. Well, it's, let's take it at the, at the high of 2017. The high of 2017 is... 1352. Okay, so in, in that specific time frame, maybe gold's outperformed Bitcoin ever so slightly. In fact, gold, it's just right, but that's not it's not it's that's not the point I was trying to make. Yes, gold has beaten Bitcoin over those six or seven years. But the point is that back then, Bitcoin was supposed to be several hundred thousand by now, according to all the proponents of the day. But so was gold. Uh, and but but was, so was gold. Uh, no, I no, no 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 nobody was talking about a hundred thousand dollar gold or a million dollar gold back then. I mean, I used to talk about five thousand dollar gold. I mean, that was kind of you know. Now I'm talking higher, but I, I you know, but the Bitcoin guys were like, you know, you just is going to go to hundreds of thousands. It's, you know, when they, when people put their laser beams on their eyes, if you remember that, that was three years ago. The laser beams were to get gold Bitcoin to a hundred thousand at that time. Right when it was fifty thousand, right? It's supposed to go. Look at look at Michael Saylor. Right, Michael Saylor was the big. Oh yeah, you got to get into Bitcoin. Corporations need to put their balance sheet into Bitcoin. Michael Saylor is down on his Bitcoin. His average price is a little over thirty thousand. So he's down about ten percent on the billions he put into Bitcoin, and he's not earning any interest. If he just would have left his money in the bank. He could be getting five percent interest. I mean, do you, what, do you, earn, do you right earn interest? Do you earn interest but, on gold? You don't earn interest. No, I'm, on gold. Uh, no but this I'm, this is different, right? Uh, Sailor was the big guy saying all companies need to get rid of their cash, 
get rid and, and put it into Bitcoin because you can't earn any yield. Well, now you can earn 5% on your cash. You're still getting nothing on your Bitcoin and the price is going down. Look at that fool up in um, uh, in, in uh, El Salvador. You know, his average price uh, for the Bitcoin he wasted uh, the uh, the people's money on. He's in there over forty thousand. I mean, look at all the money. When did Saylor, when did Michael Saylor buy first buy Bitcoin? Bitcoin? Hold on, let's just let's just quickly Google something. When? No, when he first the, bought it, it's lower, but it doesn't matter when he first bought it. It's his average cost. All okay, the Bitcoin well, he bought. Let's see it. He's when did, down on it. When did Michael Saylor start first, Bitcoin? He, he began first buying. Bought it. It was probably twenty. Okay, hold on. Humor me for humor me for one second here. Let's go into this this calculator. Here. He started buying it in 2020. So let's go to 2020 and let's end today. And let's say that you would have bought $100 a week uh, of Bitcoin. It doesn't matter what the point. That doesn't matter. He publishes his average cost of all the Bitcoin that he did, in fact, buy. Okay, but it doesn't I, matter what I you just, could just have done. What second. matters is what he actually did. Okay, but one second. Let's just say that he would have done the same with gold. Okay, so if you, he would have invested 18700 and he would have got 26845 Let's see if we can do the same thing with gold. I wonder if it, if it will actually allow us to do it. Uh, it doesn't give you that option, unfortunately. He'd, he'd probably be better off had he bought gold. Certainly, uh, the guy from El Salvador you know, would have been better off had he bought gold than Bitcoin. No the question president. about that. Had he, every, every, but part of the reason that Bitcoin went up was because Michael Saylor was buying it. His buying, his initial buying helped push up the price. That's the reason it went up because he bought, he moved the market with his size. Where do you think Bitcoin would go if Michael Saylor tried to get out? Oh my God, that thing would collapse. Especially if he let everybody know that he was gonna get out. Yeah, I mean, there would be a $4 billion, I think he's got $4 billion worth of Bitcoin. I think he'd probably be a seller. Anyway, Peter, listen, we are running out of time. I, I want to just, I mean, we, I wasn't going to have a gold versus Bitcoin debate, but it landed up being that. Um, what is the best trade for the next 12 months? So how do you position yourself for the next 12 months? You're talking about a, a potential well, collapse. I mean, you said buy gold, so I guess buy gold. What else would you do in the next 12 well, months? What I think is going to happen over the next 12 months is that, Bond yields will continue to rise. Inflation rise. will continue to rise, right? So we got the CPI out today, a little bit hotter than expected. Yeah. I think it was 3.7%. Here it is. Uh, core was 4.1. I think those numbers are going to move up. Part of that is going to be oil prices moving up. Uh, so does this war, now, we should be. Does this war worry you? Does the war that's happening right now in Israel, Middle East, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran. Uh, at the same time, you got the district, the U.S. strategic oil reserves look really, really bad. I mean, does, it, does it worry you? Worry might not be the word. I mean, I, it, it upsets me. It annoys me. I think it's unfortunate. I feel very badly uh, for what's happening. Certainly in Israel, I'm Jewish, and I, I, I have you know, I feel you know, bad about uh, Jews suffering. Uh, but I'm also very upset about. Uh, the needless deaths in in the Ukraine and in Russia. You know, the, the people who are dying in that war are not the ones making the mistake of, of, of orchestrating yeah. the war. We, They're just, you know, following we've shared the same uh, order. We've shared the same sentiment. So it, 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 it's, it's very unfortunate that this is happening. Um, does, does it, does, it, does it worry to, you in context of oil? Does it worry you in context of inflation? Look, I'm, look, I own a lot of oil, right? So, I mean, 
when oil prices go up, it helps me, right? I own a lot of oil stocks, right? So I'm not worried about the price of oil going up. I'm betting that the price of oil is going to go up, right? So it's not. But that would destroy me. the economy. I, I, that would destroy the economy. No, the economy. Look, the economy is doomed regardless. I mean, that these things that are happening are just making it worse. They're taking a bad situation and making it worse. So what's happening with Russia and the Ukraine is a negative on top of a pile of negatives that were already there. What's happening uh, in in Israel and that, you know, could potentially happen in the Middle East and with Iran. I mean, this thing could really blow up. We could just be, you know, at the beginning of something that gets much bigger. Like if you remember when uh, uh, Putin first came into uh, uh, into the Ukraine, initially, the conventional wisdom was like, this will be over quickly. Putin's going to surrender. You know, we've got him with these sanctions. Uh, the ruble is collapsing. I mean, Biden was pretty much doing a victory dance, like right, right off the bat. I was out there saying, no, this is going to go on. It's going to be like a Vietnam. Putin's not going to pull out. This is a much bigger deal. It's going to last a lot longer than people think. And we're less than four months away from two years since this war years, started. Yeah. Biden. Biden's trying to get another hundred billion dollars. So everybody initially underestimated okay, that so, war. So I think they're making it. The, they're, they're, they're doing the same thing. This is a big deal. What just happened to Israel is a big deal. And what Israel is doing in response, even if justified, is a big deal. And it's going to have repercussions and blowback throughout that region. So this is a negative. Uh, but you know, the last thing we needed was a you know another uh you know uh block on the scale that's that's tipping us into 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 complete economic collapse because this this is just another bad thing um because we can't afford this this is going to yes oil prices will be higher than they otherwise would have been but they were going so up gold, anyway so gold up and, and we already blew our our strategic petroleum reserve so gold up oil up what's the what's the well, what look, are the look gold Gold's got to go up. It has oil's been going up. Bonds have been going down and yields have been going up. Budget deficits have been going up. Inflation has been going up. Gold has yet to respond, right? Because gold is just going sideways. Gold's, you know, 1870. I mean, gold's gold's just been a steady eddy. I mean, it goes up a little, goes down. There hasn't really been a reaction. I think there will be a reaction. I think that reaction will happen within the next year. But I think all the other trends that are in motion are going to stay in motion. The budget deficits will be bigger than they are a year from now, than they are right now. Uh, and the All economy right. could well be an official recession. But so far, we've been able to avoid an official recession. So maybe we'll continue to avoid an official recession, even though unofficially, we've probably S&P been in recession up, the entire time. S&P up or down one year from now? Well, you know, I, it's a guess. I, I would think it would be down. But I mean, if it's up, it's not going to surprise me. Okay. You know, because you know, is Biden, now, is, I don't think it's going to be a boom, you know, but but it's, the market should be going down. If okay. I'm right on interest rates, if I'm right on inflation, the stock market should go down. But you never know. I mean, it, it could surprise me and, and go the other way. But, you know, I own stocks. I own stocks for my clients, but I own certain types of stocks. Like I own a lot of oil stocks. Right. So those what are about, stocks. They, what they about could this? be dragged down with the market, but. What about this? Biden president in 2025 or not? No, I don't. I don't think Biden is going to get reelected. I, I think Trump beats him. Um, and I'm not even sure that he's going to be the candidate. We'll see. I mean, I think he probably will be the candidate, but he may not be. Uh, but I think that if he is the candidate, Trump will beat him. 
And I think if Trump is not the nominee, if it's another Republican, then I think pretty much almost any Republican will beat Biden. And, and, and the reason I think that is looking at how low his approval ratings are right now and how unpopular Biden is, there is no precedent for any president being reelected that had numbers anywhere near this bad. And as bad as the numbers unless are now, runs they against, will be worse. Unless he runs no, against no. Trump. And unless he runs against no, Trump, because, because enough people actually hate Trump to maybe tip no, the scales, no? More, no, no. More people will hate Biden. And more importantly, they will hate Bidenomics. They will hate the Biden economy. If the economy is a disaster, if people are hurting financially, if they're struggling to get by, they're not going to vote for four more years. Even the people who hate Trump will vote for him over Biden. Yeah, Peter, because, listen. You know, they'll uh, look back at how things were when Trump was president and they'll say, you know, they weren't nearly as bad as they are now. So maybe we can go back to that. Nobody is going to vote to continue the misery. Remember the misery index under yes. that's when Reagan beat Jimmy Carter was the mm. misery index. Mm. Nobody is going to vote to return to office the leader of that misery. Right. Mm. The, 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 so it, 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 there's just no way. They, the only chance that they have, they'd have to get rid of Biden and put somebody on the top of the ticket, you know, like a RFK Jr. or something that could basically say, look, you know, I got no part but of RFK, the old Democratic Party. You know. Yeah, Jr. left. I mean, he's now become, he's running independent. Listen, Peter. I know, he's running as an independent, yeah. which is another reason I think that uh, Biden's not going to get reelected mm. because he is going to do to Biden what Ross Perot did to Bush. Yes. Bush was unpopular, not as unpopular as, as Biden is right now, but mm. Bush was unpopular with Republicans. He broke the read my lips, no new taxes pledge. Mm. We had a mild recession while he was president. And, and, and so Ross Perot siphoned off enough votes from Bush. Ross Perot got 19% of the vote. So he took enough votes from Bush to tip the election to Clinton. Mm. I think if Ross Perot had not been in the race, Bush probably would have been reelected. But uh, Ross Perot, I think, was the spoiler. And, uh, you know, listen, I, the same I, I, thing could happen. Now you've got, let me finish. Now you've got a, a Democrat who is very unpopular in his own party who will be challenged by another Democrat with a very popular name. You know, yeah. a lot of Democrats are happy to vote for Kennedy if they see him, his name on the, uh, the ballot. So this I, will be I, a big I, problem for, for Biden. Yeah, I think I think look, I must say I don't think I think an independent in the United States isn't going to get very many votes. I think it's become a two party. It's going to become a Republican Democrat race, unfortunately. No, he, uh, he won't win. He won't. He, he won't win. He won't get any electoral votes. But on the margin, you got to look at these states. These states are decided. The swing states, right? There's maybe about a, do a dozen states yeah. at met, maybe even fewer that count, and those elections are decided by a few percentage points. So you put a third party, a credible third party candidate in there, he could tip the swing states in one direction or another. I'm not saying he's got any chance of winning. Yeah, he's not going to win, but he could determine which candidate loses. Right. And so it's going to be a problem is, you know, for for Biden. So that, that's why I said I, I think that he's not going to win. Uh, Peter, thank you so much, my friend. Listen, right. You are completely out of time. So, so much love for you. Love having you on the show. Didn't intend to have a gold versus right. Bitcoin debate, but we did. But it was a lot of fun. Thank you, my <laughs> friend. Yeah. Well, you can't help that with you know crypto banter. Wait, what are you going to do? All right. <laughs> cool, my friend.
guys that's that's peter schiff i didn't i didn't expect it to be one of those things but it just you know you know how peter is and i mean i mean a lot of amazing 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 insights and what a great way uh to end the week so listen, again, just a few things. Number one, if anything happens on the markets, I'll be here on the weekend for you guys. That is 100% for sure. Uh, number two, remember that this show was brought to you by NordVPN. And I did tell you in the beginning of the show why you need a VPN. Guys, you need to protect your crypto. You need to protect yourselves. I saw this article, as I said, which is fake. I mean, Uniswap. Uniswap, the most used crypto decks. In fact, I saw volumes. Let's just have a look here. So I saw the volumes of, of, I wonder if I've got the chart here. I don't have a chart. Um, but I saw the volumes of Uniswap actually went over the volumes of Coinbase. And it just shows you like, if you get caught in a fake site, if you don't have North Thread protection, guys, you're getting wiped out. You're going to get wiped out. And the truth is, if you've got $500 worth of crypto, $1,000 worth of crypto, isn't it worth just getting North Thread, Thread protection for $3.79 a month? Protect yourself from all that stuff especially if you're like me and you're traveling. Um, I also mentioned to you last time that, you know, when I do travel and I do uh, want to make sure that I, I, you know, I can watch Formula One races and whatever else, I just log into my VPN and, and there I am. I can be wherever I, I want to be. So listen, if you haven't signed up already, sign up for NordVPN, sign up for threat protection. Altogether, it is $5 a month or $6 a month. You support the channel, you support our, our best sponsors and uh, you support us. So yeah, do it. See you guys again on Monday. Remember, on Monday, we launch Kyle's Whale School. I'm super fucking excited for Kyle's Whale School. Uh, he spent a long time building it. Uh, first come, first serve. We're going to take in 2,000 people for Kyle's Whale School. Check this out. This is where everything comes down to AT. This is where your success will be found within trading. This is a long race. It's an endurance race and not a sprint. You have to survive in order to be able to succeed. Can't wait. Can't wait. Next week we'll open up the next week we'll open up applications. First two thousand people will get in. The rest of you will have to make the next cohort. All right. So before we go, I did say that I was going to place some bets in the uh, Rugby World Cup using BetSwap, which is one of our partners. So let's quickly go to the games, uh, betswap.gg. So four games this weekend. Wales against Argentina, Ireland against New Zealand, Ireland, I think, current world champions, England against Fiji, and then, of course, South Africa against France. Okay, so uh, bets for the weekend. Let's start off with Ireland against New Zealand. I'm going to go for an Ireland win or New Zealand win. What do you say? James, what do you say? Ireland win or New Zealand win? New Zealand are good, but Ireland also good. Let me go for 100 bucks on Ireland. Uh, 100 bucks on Ireland to win. I get 167 if I'm right here. Let's place the bet. Done. Remember, I'm using my crypto here to take bets. Okay, so I've placed that bet. Uh, next game, next South Africa against France. I'm going to go South Africa for the win. Um, South Africa for the win. 2.2, 2. it pays 2.2 to 1. Uh, South Africa win. Let's put 100 bucks on South Africa. To win, we'll check out. We'll check out these bets again on Monday together. Uh, let's place that bet. Um, England Fiji. I mean, it's definitely an England win. There's no doubt that you're going to get an England win. So I'm going to put a hundred bucks on England. Um, I'm putting three hundred bucks down. Okay, I think, I think that's my last bet. I'm not going to bet on the Wales Argentina game, even though I think it's a, it's a no brainer that Wales actually land up winning. Ah, let me put another hundred bucks. Uh, on Wales winning and, get, and I get a hundred and I, hand, I get a 1.5 to one. Okay. So we have four bets for the four games this weekend. Place them on betswap.gg. Um, place the bet. All right. We're done. 
We'll meet again on Monday and we'll count all our winnings. Uh, I'll see you guys again on Monday. Until then, trade well, my friends. Bet well, my friends. Ha, ha, ha.